0: Well, good morning, morning. (laughs) y'all. As I was praying on Monday and Tuesday about the word that God would have me bring this morning, an unusual thing happened. I began to think about the stained glass window in the Bel Air Christian Church building. I tried to push the thought away. I thought, Lord, that's interfering with, with your voice but it wouldn't go away. Fellow Christian Church, when our congregation had grown to the point that our meeting room no longer could contain us, the elders decided to go ahead and build an addition. And they obtained John Brooks Walton, who was a rising young architect, now well-known in Tulsa, to design and oversee the building designed a very beautiful chapel. Some of you I know were there from time to time. John Brooks Walton then obtained the services of a man named Pepe Mendez. Pepe Mendez was a Cuban. He had been a part of the attempted invasion of America, and many Cubans were killed as a result of siding with America. He had fled Cuba to get away from Castro and the possible execution. Pepe Mendez was a man who had been trained in Italy and Spain in the beautiful artwork of stained-glass windows. And so John Brooks Walton obtained him, and he designed and created a very, very beautiful stained-glass window on the north wall of the chapel. If you sat in the pew and you looked to the front... First of all, there was the communion table. Above that, the pulpit. Behind the pulpit was the baptistry with an open window above it. And in that window was this stained glass window. It was a dove descending beautifully, symbolizing the moment when Jesus came forth from the waters of immersion and the Holy Spirit descended and rested upon him in the form of a dove. Symbolizing the truth of what Paul said in Acts chapter 2 on the, on the day of Pentecost that repent and be immersed every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That normally the Holy Spirit comes to us When we are immersed. Although sometimes God does it another way. But that's a normal way. Oh Lord. What does that have to do. (laughs) With a Sunday sermon. To think about that window. I continued to pray. And then God began to take me down. The path. For this morning. The Jewish people. Had a. Religion that truly had been given of them of God. You remember on Mount Sinai, the Lord spoke to Moses and gave him all of the details of that covenant. And he gave him the Ten Commandments, which were the code of covenant for the Jewish people. And those who were obedient to God followed it carefully. Interestingly, it was a different mountain where God spoke to those of us who are part of the Messianic kingdom. They were part of God's covenant kingdom, the covenant people, but we were a part of the Messianic kingdom. And it was on a mountain in Galilee where Jesus Christ gave to us what is equivalent to the law of Moses. And we call it the Sermon on the Mount that came from that mountain of Galilee. You know it well, Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, and Luke in a shorter version. It begins, of course, with the lovely Beatitudes of Blessed are, blessed are, blessed are. And then Jesus begins the main sermon by saying, You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost its taste, how can it be made salty again? It is good for nothing but to be cast underfoot and trodden underfoot of men. You are the light of the world. No man lights a lamp and puts it under a bushel basket, but he puts it on a lampstand and it lights the whole room. Let your light shine before men, so that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. And as I began to pray and meditate, it was the second of those that really began to sense this is where God would have us go today. You are the light of the world. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father, which is in heaven very quickly as I began to think about that, Lord, you're contradicting yourself. Because later in the sermon, as recorded in Matthew chapter 6, you said this, beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. When therefore you give alms, which would be help to the poor, do not sound a trumpet before you as a hypocrites doing the synagogues, the streets, that they may be honored by men. Truly I say to you, hey, they have their reward in full. But when you give alms, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your alms may be in secret. Your Father who sees in secret will repay you. Now wait a minute, Jesus. <laughs> Are you contradicting yourself? You said earlier to... Let your light so shine before men that men seeing your good works seeing your good works will glorify Father in heaven to hear you say don't let anybody see what you're doing. (laughs) Do it in secret. The key is the motive. In the first instance when we are doing good works to glorify God we have no sense of self. There's no motivation for self-praise. But it is because God has commanded it and we're obeying. It is because we hurt for people. And it is that motivation, the heart of God that's coming forth. Whereas the second one is, (laughs) such a person does it out of self. What can I get out of this? What kind of praise can I get? And so that's the difference not a contradiction but a different motive on the part of the doer let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your father which is in heaven how can we do that? (laughs) well the first place is right here the relationships we have between those of us who are believers. Early, finally, the early, the mid second century, there was a Stoic Athenian philosopher named Aristides, and Aristides wrote a report to the Roman emperor. Now, some say it was the Hadrian. Hadrian uh, ruled uh, the early part of that century, and others said no, it was Antoninus Pius who was from 138 to 161, even though we can't be sure which emperor he wrote it for, he did write a report about the religions that he saw in the Roman Empire. And he began to classify the citizens of the empire by what religion they had. He wrote about those who worshipped the pagan gods, and he said, you know, their gods sometimes commit worth worse things than humans do. He said the Jewish religion has this commended a great moral law. But then he said, when I began to study the Christians, here's what impressed me. Behold how they love one another. He said the worshipers of these other gods can hate one another. They can kill one another. But Christians would die for one another. I was reading recently from the church fathers, and this morning I can't remember which one, <laughs> but one was describing the congregation of which he was a member in his day. And to paraphrase, he said this, We have strong members of our church they have sold themselves into slavery So that the money they obtain from that sale, they can buy out of slavery a brother or a sister who is weaker and cannot endure. Some have taken that money because they saw widows in need and had no money to give to the widows. And so they sold themselves into slavery to have money to give to widows. Behold how they love One another. What a beautiful thing to think about, isn't it? It's really a very emotional thing to think about. When Jesus Christ was nearing the hours of going to the Garden of Gethsemane and there in agony as he sweat drops of blood to cry out, O Father, If it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. In the hours before that, he was in the upper room with the disciples. This is recorded in five chapters of John 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17. And in that upper room with them, he said many things. He told them what was coming. He promised the Holy Spirit. But throughout all five chapters, you notice the theme of love flows through. John thirteen thirty four. he said, A new commandment I give you, Love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also may love one another. And then, at the end of that time, John 17, we find recorded that great high priestly prayer. Jesus prayed for the apostles. He prayed for you and me. And he concluded the prayer with this. I have made thy name known to them. will make it known that the love wherewith thou didst love me may be in them and I in them. One day... Recorded in Matthew chapter 22. One day when Jesus was facing constant verbal attacks by Pharisees and Sadducees, first one, then the other, and finally coming together, and a lawyer said, Tell us what is the greatest commandment in the law. Jesus knew Scripture. <laughs> so without hesitation, he quoted Deuteronomy. 6, 5, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest commandment. And then he immediately went to Leviticus nineteen, eighteen, and he said, And love thy neighbors thyself. This is the second great commandment. Behold how they love one another. This morning I could spend the whole morning reading verses from the New Testament that speak of the love that it is God's will for us to have for one another. But let me just read a few. First Peter one twenty two to twenty three. Since you have an obedience to the truth, purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. That's pretty strong, isn't it? For you have been born again not of seed which is perishable but imperishable that is through the living and abiding word of god romans 12:10 be devoted to one another in brotherly love give preference to one another in honor hebrews 13:1 let the love of the brethren continue romans 12 15 and 16. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Be not wise in your own estimation. And then, and so as those who have been chosen by God, holy and beloved. Put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience, bearing with one another forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. And beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Colossians three, twelve, and 13. On and on we could go. <laughs> but the first place we begin to let our light shine before the world so that they can see our good works and glorify the Father in heaven is right here among us. Back to the stained glass window. (laughs) As I continued to pray, Lord, what does that have to do with it? Here's what the Lord said to me. In every congregation you have all kinds of temperaments. In every congregation you have all kinds of personalities. And these disparate temperaments and these disparate personalities often are very abrasive to one another. (laughs) I had a member of the church say to me one day this past year, How do those elders work together? (laughs) You can't think of a different group of men. They're all so different. How do they work together? The answer is this the fruit of the Spirit. (laughs) The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long suffering. That's how it works. Our Lord has made each of us as we are, and when I pray for the elders and to go around the circle, I thank God that He made each man exactly as He did. I might have done it differently. <laughs> Some of us, He made a piece of amber glass. <laughs> Some of us he made clear, perhaps somewhat opaque. Some of us, he made a green, and some of us, he made a red, and some of us, he made a blue. And individually, we're just a piece of colored glass. But when the great artist, the great creator, takes these pieces of glass and puts them together, it is a thing of beauty for heaven and hell to behold. My brother and sister, it's a beautiful thing to look upon your faces and see a church. For God has taken all of some of you with strange personalities. Wonder where did that temperament come from? And yet the love in this church is so real you can feel it. Behold. Behold how they love one another. Sometimes we hear jokes told about church fights. More than one of you has told me about the man who was stranded on an island and finally people came to him after many years. And what's that building over there? Oh, that's my church building. I built, oh, that's wonderful. You go there, yeah, every Sunday. What's that building over there? Oh, that's the one I used to go to. I don't don't like them anymore, you know. You know, we laugh about these things, but it's really tragedy, isn't it? The devil dances with glee every time there's a church fight. He's won something every time. I thank the Lord that for the last 26 years we have not had a church fight. (laughs) We had some before, but not for 26 years. I thank God that the Holy Spirit has bathed this church in a baptism of love. But let's be careful and not take pride because it is the fruit of the Holy Spirit, not something any of us have done. But we embrace it and receive it with joy. Behold, how they love one another. A second way, of course, is by good works and kindness that we do to the world about us, good deeds in the world. Galatians 6:10. so then while we have opportunity, let us do good to all men especially those who are of the household of faith. Even though this is where we do it first, the exhortation is all men. A few years ago, one of our Sunday night seminars was a video series on the early church. And one section dealt with the question, how did this the small sect of Christianity flourish in Rome, given the culture and nature of those days. And here's how that video explained it, and other sociologists, I think, have done the same thing. In ancient Rome, most of the citizens lived in apartment buildings. They were two, three, perhaps four, at least three stories high. On the ground floor, the apartments had more amenities than those who were above. Some of them had a form of running water even. But those apartments were such that no one had any privacy. Everybody knew what was going on in everybody else's life. And so the unbelievers, noticing the Christians that lived among them, noticed how Husbands love their wives, how wives respected husbands, how children respected parents. They came to watch the lives of these people and realized they kept their word. No one lied. No one stole. No one tried to take advantage of his neighbor and that began to get the attention. Now in ancient Rome, abortion was rare. Occasionally it did take place, but it was rare because the main means of attempting it was by the mother trying to drink some kind of potion that would kill the baby. And because the mother's life was put in risk, abortion was not a very common practice. But infanticide was. Anytime a baby was born, the father decided whether or not to keep it. Do we want another kid in our family or not? And so it was very common for when a baby was born for a father to say, we don't need that one, we don't need another one. And so the baby would be taken, this newborn baby, and thrown on the city dump. In some cases on the dung heap. In every city they had a pile of manure and dung, human feces and animal dung piled together. Throw a baby there. But the orphan would just put the baby out on the front step to die. Now it became the practice for slavers to go each day and try to gather up these babies that were left on the stoop. And they would rear them to childhood and then when they became children they sold them into slavery. Some who were in the business of prostitution would take the girls and rear them to be prostitutes. But the Christians also went around and collected babies. They adopted them. They loved them, they reared them in their homes, and they became Christians. And people in the apartments of Rome began to notice how different Christians were from their other neighbors. And they began to ask why and began to open their hearts, good deeds. (laughs) Good deeds done in a way that the Father is glorified by those who see it. Now, over the years, I've heard many of you say to me, you know, St. Francis said, preach the gospel at all times when necessary, use words. Uh, Many of you have said that to me. Let me say to you, he never said that. Researchers of St. Francis have looked and looked and looked. They can't find that anywhere as a matter of fact, he was best known for being a fiery preacher, sometimes preaching five times a day in strange circumstances. Not only that, you can't preach the gospel without words. The best research I've been able to do, the first time that there's any record of that ever being said about St. Francis was 1992 in a sermon by uh, Swindoll, Chuck Swindoll. And then others began quoting him, and it became kind of folklore that St. Francis said that. But even so, good works open people's heart. You have to present the gospel. Otherwise, all you do is send a bunch of well-fed, well-clothed, well-housed, well-educated people to hell. We have to present the gospel. We have to present the gospel. But good works so often Open the door. But they must be done in a way, in Jesus' name. Last night I watched a program in which Franklin Graham, good Samaritan, was talking about the work they had done with the last great flood and how there were still many people in their ministry still working, even though it's been years ago. And he said, every place we go and everything we do, we always have a chaplain with us. And that chaplain talks to people, ministers to them, and shares said it's, we have many people come to Jesus Christ because of the ministry we have done in those situations. And they're ready to go now in Fl- where the Hurricane Florence is coming. People will come to Jesus Christ because of those good works. Always the people always know it's done in the name of of Jesus. Now maybe I'm preaching to the choir this morning. You know, I thought about this church and all of the good works that flow out of this body. The Mental Health Association, what a wonderful thing that is that we have represented in our body. Men in the Crisis Pregnancy Center, what a marvelous thing. The the Dillon Institute, what a what a gift it is to have Sister Karen here with us who, who leads that uh, ministry and Little Lighthouse. Wow, what a wonderful ministry we have there! And we think, you know, of uh, the expressions of that with uh, the Thorns and Linda who are taking that to other other nations. What a beautiful ministry that is. The the ministries at Kendall Whittier School. Think of all the years at Jesus Inn. How many people who had struggled with drug addictions who had been in prison. And Jesus sent, took these people and helped them build lives. What a beautiful thing to think about. And, of course, what Jim Price is doing now to try to get the ministry going to, uh, to, to the orphanage in Haiti, good work. That perhaps those in those orphanages can someday be reared as brothers and said, now I have to stop because I'm going to leave something out. But I believe God looks at this church and the ministries that flow out of it, and he is pleased. And I also know that there are people whose hearts are open to Jesus because of it. God cares about the hurting, cares about those who are in need, and that's met through his People, We do good to all, especially the household of faith. A third way that we let the world see our light and see the good works is through the moral lives that we live. Jim Grinnell preached a couple weeks ago about the four wills of God. And one of them, of course, that he mentioned is in First Peter, two thirteen and fifteen. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to the king as a one in authority, or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. Such is the will of God. Notice this: that by doing right, you may silence the ignorance. A foolish man. If we live law-abiding lives, highly moral lives, those who don't like Jesus will have a dickens of a time trying to find something about us to criticize. Yes, amen. Ephesians 5, 3, Do not let immorality or impurity or greed of any kind even be named among you as is proper among saints. As we live lives of honesty, lives of sobriety, lives of chastity, we glorify God. In the eyes of the world, people who have any kind of character at all as they see that, God will be glorified. Much more we could say this morning But the clock says quit. (laughs) So in summary, let me say, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Amen.